We have the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the church. We read of that great miracle and the keeping of God's covenant in Acts 2. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 2. Page 1081 in your pew Bibles, Jesus has just told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And now, 10 days after ascension, 50 days after Easter, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Let's read verses 1 through 24 and 36 through 42. 1 through 24 and 36 through 42. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Our text is verses 8 through 11. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
And then moving down to verse 36, the end of Peter's sermon. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, certain, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who receive his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, let's begin with a bit of farm equipment history. In 1902, two equipment companies, McCormick and Deering, merged to form a company which they called International Harvester, part of which has now morphed into Case IH, you know, the, the red ones. Why did they choose this name? Well, George Perkins, who financed the new company, had a dream to build a global enterprise of harvesting equipment, international harvester. And that's an illustration of the day of Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago. Pentecost was one of those three feasts that God instituted for the church in the Old Testament. The first one being the Passover, the middle one Pentecost, the last one Tabernacles. And the unique thing about Pentecost is that it was the celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest. It's called Pentecost because penta means 50. And it was celebrated on the 50th day after the last day of Passover which was the day of first fruits. That was a Sunday. And on the 50th day after that, on a Sunday again, the Feast of Pentecost, the beginning of the wheat harvest, began. Now on this particular Pentecost Sunday, as the apostles were gathered together in one place, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. It began a far greater harvest than the wheat harvest. The harvest of souls for the kingdom of God from all nations, the international harvest. That's what we want to see this morning. On the day of Pentecost, the international harvest began and it continues today. We want to see first the sign of this harvest, this international harvest, its power, secondly, and its fruit, its sign. There were Jews gathered in Jerusalem that Sunday for Pentecost celebration. Together with them, Gentile proselytes, people who had been converted and brought into Israel from all over the Roman world, 
from every nation under heaven. And though they all likely knew Aramaic, they were amazed at a great miracle that happened that Sunday. The disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 6 says, as they came out of the house where they were gathered for prayer, and they entered the streets, we, we assume that's what happened, the crowds gathered around, and we read, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What they said, amazed and bewildered? Amazed and astonished? Aren't these men Galileans? But we hear each of them speaking to us in his own native language, in his own dialect. And these Jews and Gentile proselytes, they knew the language of the countries they came from. Though they used Aramaic in the synagogues, and they used Aramaic in the synagogue schools, Aramaic and Hebrew, that was their religious language. They also knew the language of the country and the city where they lived, and they would use it on the job and in the marketplace and on the streets. And they said, hey, they're speaking our native street language, language we use on the job. What's God doing here? He's doing a miracle. The Holy Spirit is enabling these uneducated Galileans to speak fluently in languages they had never studied. Wouldn't that be handy for your French exam? Even more so, our missionaries today would love to have this special gift rather than cut their teeth on learning Hindi and Spanish and Urdu and Swahili and Mandarin and, and Arabic. But it was a unique sign for that moment in history. It was astounding these men were preaching the mighty works of God, which... These visitors in Jerusalem, dwelling there for the time of the feast, would expect to be told in their religious language of the synagogue, Aramaic. They're speaking in our own languages. It's not as though God needed to do this so the people could understand. If the disciples had spoken in Aramaic, everybody would have heard God's doing something special. It's a sign from God that a new age has dawned in God's covenant an age of international harvest that the kingdom of God is no longer going to be centered in the earthly city of Jerusalem and around the language of the Jews that was the old covenant method but now the covenant is going out the covenant and kingdom are going out to all nations in all languages under heaven. It was a unique sign given to the apostles and their associates, and it died out when the apostles died out. It didn't continue. It was a certification, an authentication from God that Christ had finished the gospel work. And that work was now to go out into all the world. And what people call speaking in tongues today is not 
This speaking of tongues we find in the Bible, speaking in other living languages without study. It's not that. Oh, it was a sign a new age was breaking in upon the church of God, the harvest of nations. You know, in the old covenant, the nations are coming to Jerusalem. And if they speak Jerusalem's language, and they had to become Jews. But now, in the new covenant, it's going the other way. It's going out now to all the nations. The church, Israel, is expanding to the ends of the earth, expanding into many languages. Israel's becoming an international church household of Jews and Gentiles. The promise made to Abraham through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed, is coming true. And speaking in tongues, a special sign given by the Holy Spirit to the apostles to show that a new global enterprise of Jesus Christ called International Harvest had begun. Now that the work of salvation is completed by Jesus Christ in his birth, his perfect life, his suffering and death, his resurrection and ascension. Now that the gospel is complete, it's time for it to go out. It's a reversal, really, of the Tower of Babel. Remember what happened at Babel? Through the confusion of languages, people were scattered all over the earth. Now, through the gift of many languages, people across the earth are being gathered. United as one family. It's a reversal. And the fact that we can celebrate the baptism this morning of somebody from European descent, Benjamin, who's got a Hebrew name and lives in another continent in a town called Watford, 9,600 kilometers from Jerusalem, is Evidence that the international harvest has not only begun, but has made a lot of progress. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A little piece of evidence. God's doing big things. Let's, let's not forget to see the importance of things we just sort of get used to. Even Watford? Yes, even Watford. And you name your own town, even that town. Well, secondly, let's see its power. The power of international harvest is not speaking in tongues, but the message spoken in tongues. Look at verses 9 through 11. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. Those are people from the east, Persia area. Then in the center, Judea. And then Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. That's Asia Minor to the north. And then Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, south. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, East or West, Cretans and Arabians, again to the South. People from all nations under heaven. We hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. There's the power. 
There's the power of harvest, the power of salvation, the mighty works of God. And we tend to focus on speaking in tongues. No, no, no. It's the message that was spoken that's important. We hear the mighty works of God. And that's the international harvester of the Holy Spirit, the mighty works of God, the message of the gospel. What are these mighty works of God? Well, Peter will preach that in his sermon later on in Acts 2. What are the mighty works of God? God promised his son to the world. God sent his son into the world to save the world. You crucified him just as God planned and predestined you to do. God raised him from the dead. God exalted him to his right hand. God gave him the Holy Spirit, and Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. The mighty works of God. That's the life-giving, life-saving news that the whole world needs congregation. Not the mighty works of man. Oh, there's so emphasis on the power of man save the world the works of a king president or prime minister or any government the works of medical professionals to fight cancer disease and aging and save the world the work of climate action to save the planet the works of the Dalai Lama to bring peace the power of sports to unite an angry world the work of art and music to bring world peace. There's so much human activity and ingenuity and creativity and technology and a lot of it is good but these don't have the divine power to save the world. Not even to save one human being. To save us from the guilt of sin and the wrath of God and from death. Human works don't have the power to make sinners right with God. Human works don't have the power to give us a new life, a changed life. Human works don't have the power to raise our bodies from the grave and give us everlasting life and bring us into a new heavens and a new earth. They don't have it. Only God's mighty works in Jesus Christ have power to rescue the souls of men and make the world a new and perfect place to create shalom and glory. Brothers and sisters, that's the power of harvest. To declare the mighty works of God to all nations in all languages. That's the message that's going to save us. Save our neighbors and bring us to God and gather us into one international family called the Church of Jesus. And the timing of Pentecost is perfect because in the Old Testament the gospel wasn't ready to go out yet. The mighty works of God for our salvation weren't complete yet. God had promised it. He was preparing it. He was proceeding toward it, but it wasn't complete until Christ came to live and die and rise and ascend. And that's where the power lies. The message of God's work in Christ crucified and risen from the dead, now reigning for our salvation. 
That's the message that must be told, as Paul said it. This is a trustworthy saying, right, and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, 1 Timothy 1.15. That's it. Do you believe that you need the mighty works of God for your salvation? Have you taken refuge in the mighty works of God because you're a sinner under the wrath of God desperately need of salvation? Have you run to God's power to save you? You may just be going with the flow and living in the church culture and not closing with God's work in Christ through the Spirit. Don't go one more day in that unbelieving state. Trust the work of Christ to be sufficient for you to cover all your sins, to give you complete righteousness, to give you a new life and power to change and grow and live for God and one day even to give you a new body and a new creation. Believe in his mighty works. Rest in them. Forget your own. And are you committed to tell the mighty works of God in the confidence that this is where the power is that will save our neighbors near and far? You know, Greg and Tony Lynn and all of us as parents, this phrase, we hear them speak in other languages, the mighty works of God, that actually comes, that phrase, we hear the mighty works of God, from Psalm 78, where God says to Israel, listen, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonderful works he has done. Tell that to Benjamin, the coming generation. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, generation after Benjamin. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should put their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. That is the way the Holy Spirit advances the gospel downward through the generation. Tell the mighty works of God. Let's not lose sight of that. We're very busy with our children. We register them for baseball, for soccer, and for camps. We help them get jobs. We believe in developing a good work ethic. We want them to be successful. We want them to be happy. We want them to be well-cultured. We want them to have a good education in arts and sciences and trades and humanities and culture. That's important, but are we forgetting the number one thing? Thing they need in life, and that is the mighty works of God, to know the mighty works of God. Let children hear the mighty deeds which God performed of old. Do we really believe that's number one? And everything else is secondary. That it's better to know God and never get an education than to get an education and forget God. We really, is it, are the mighty works of God really that important to us? Moms and dads, grandparents, people of God. Well, you say, well, we can have both. Okay. In the old Soviet Union, 
That was literally the choice. If you were known as a Christian believer, you were shut out from a lot of education. No higher education for you for sure. You were shut out from the high paying jobs. So if you wanted the education and you wanted the jobs and you wanted to live a good life, don't tell your children the mighty deeds of God. You'll you'll, you'll shut them out from the good life. And many made that choice. And that's the choice presented for many in Indonesia today and in China and many other places. And it's becoming true more and more for us in our culture. Will we trade in the saving power of God's word for the fleeting powers of this world? Let's always remember the, the mighty deeds of God are number one. Our children need to be nourished on that more than anything else. So we're to take that power of harvest downward, but also outward to the nations. Are we Pentecostal Christians? Because the gospel is God's international harvester. The Holy Spirit is the fuel and engine that powers our harvester, and we're the one that are called to drive it. As God's servants and witnesses, in God's harvest to the ends of the world, and Jesus called us to pray for this. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Can I just have a word for a moment with the young men and boys? Are there any young men here ready to give their lives to this ministry to the ends of the earth in a special way? How do you do that? You start now by asking for the Holy Spirit to prepare you. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to help you offer yourself for this. Is there anyone? And in a more broad way, are there men and women who are ready to spend time at Frank Street Mission or to stand at the book table at the market on Saturdays, to take their neighbors to VBS? to do public Christian pro-life witness or go on a short-term mission or a longer term to serve a lost and needy community somewhere in the world. So many different opportunities close by and further away. Almost every mission agency today is is alarmed at the falling numbers of Christians committing to short-term and longer-term missions. But it's true for all of us every day and all our words and deeds to all our clients and co-workers and team members and customers and neighbors. Tell the mighty deeds of God. We're weak. We're just laborers. But he's the Lord of the harvest. Trust him to use that message to do mighty things in people's lives. And yes, he can use little old me or little old you or little young you. The power and success belong to the Lord of the harvest. That's why the Holy Spirit was poured out. To be power where there is none in us. 
The disciples spoke, but the Holy Spirit did the work of harvest through the word. What an age we live in. The age of the Holy Spirit. The power of harvest. Maybe we don't believe that power. And therefore we don't tell the mighty works of God, but believe in him. And so we see thirdly the fruit of the harvest. Pentecost is an amazing story of God's kingdom that started in Jerusalem one Sunday and people from all nations were gathered in one place and heard in their own language the mighty works of God. That day, 3,000 of them were saved through the word of God's mighty works. They were convicted of their sin. They were converted to Christ. They were given repentance and faith in him. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were added to the church. They sang God's praises. They worshiped him. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's the fruit. And then as Jesus said, that harvest starting in Jerusalem, if you read through the book of Acts, started to move out to Judea, and then Samaria, And then it crossed the line into Gentile territory. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts and Romans, it's reached Asia Minor. It's gone all the way to Illyricum, which is Bulgaria in Europe. It's gone south to Ethiopia. It's gone west all the way to Spain. And the enemies of Christ are saying, these guys are turning the world upside down. The gospel undid the Roman Empire by the Spirit's power. It undid the Soviet Union many years later. It's threatening India and China and Iran and Saudi Arabia. That's why there's such opposition. People are afraid of the power of the gospel. You can put people in chains, but you can't chain the gospel, Paul said. You can't put the gospel in chains. Because the Spirit empowers it. Sometimes we get very down because our culture is imploding. It's unraveling. It's coming apart at the scenes. People are so lost and devoid of common sense and so ignorant of the art of good living and so angry and empty and just tired of living. And we sometimes doubt that the power of God is able to speak and change lives in a culture like ours. But this is exactly where the gospel does so well in a culture like ours to change people's lives and homes and workplaces and schools and halls of government. Oh Lord, I can be I can be so discouraged at the strength of the darkness and at the apparent lack of power in the gospel. But Lord, I'm believing a lie. I'm forgetting the Holy Spirit. I'm forgetting the work of Christ 
I'm forgetting the plan of God. We belong to the God of Pentecost, the missionary father who sent his missionary son, who poured out his missionary spirit to empower us to be a missionary people, to turn the world upside down. Well, let's believe in him today. That he, through his son and spirit, can save you and your household and then use you to save others in his international harvest. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if we just look at Acts 2 and the rest of the book of Acts and we see how the gospel prevailed and conquered in one of the wickedest cultures in history, Rome. Then we're reminded, Lord, what you can do and will do today through your servants when we are your witnesses. Encourage us to believe what you can do to our children as we tell them the mighty acts of God, to our neighbors, to all our country and around the world. Reignite in us a passion and a zeal for the mission of God. Help us to represent your missionary heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.